but we need to embrace it. We don't need to shun away from it. We don't need to get ourselves in a position of, well, that's for everybody else. It's not for me. You know, and we can, we can take that attitude, but if we do, correction is not going to benefit us. How many of you know that when you correct somebody, you do it because you want to see them do better or act better or have better? Amen? It's, I, I never whipped one of my kids because I hated them. I never, I never corrected them because I was hoping they would fail at something. I bought correction because I wanted them to do better and be better than me. And so, <clears throat> correction is a lot of times something that we try to shy away from. But it is the most important thing in the body of Christ in this day and time, in my opinion. Yeah. We'll set an example for others so that they can make the necessary changes to improve the quality of their life. If we will adhere to and if we will accept correction in our life. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded about, this is the Amplified, therefore, since we are surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses, who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us pay attention to those words right there cleverly entangles us let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us looking away from all that will distract us and how many things do we have trying to distract us nowadays all the things that would distract us, focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And that word perfection is going to be real important here in a little bit. The first incentive of our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. Who for the joy, everybody needs to say that, for the joy, for the joy. of accomplishing a goal. Who for the joy of accomplishing? How many are you are goal setters? Yeah. And when you're setting those goals, do you automatically think there's never going to be anything to keep you from making it? <laughs> you set them knowing there's going to be things trying to distract you. Things trying to keep you from getting there. But we set them anyway, don't we? Set before him, endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, 
and the completion of his work. In that amplified version, looking away from all that will distract, that is something that we, we should pay close attention to in this day and time. Because distractions will keep us from getting to those goals. It will keep us from getting to where we're supposed to be. It will, distractions can be a child. A, a distraction can be a spouse. A distraction can be COVID. Anything that we focus on more than fulfilling the plan of God in our life is a distraction. Anything. Whether it's a family member. You know, we had a friend one time. She was called to the ministry. She was a dynamic preacher. Extremely good. People, she was a people person. She had everything going for her, but she had several kids, and she kept saying... When I get all my kids raised, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to get in the ministry. I'm going to get in the ministry. <laughs> when her last kid was in high school, guess what happened? She got pregnant again. <laughs> Not planning on it. You know, it was a surprise. But guess what? As far as I know, she never fulfilled the call of God on her life. How did the devil know what would distract her? It had been working for years. The one thing that she kept saying. When I get my kids raised, I'll have time to devote and do that. You can't let anything distract you from the call of God. Because you will never get into the perfect will of God. And that, I know that word perfect scares us because we automatically think, who's perfect but Jesus? Who, who can be perfect? Well, I'm going to tell y'all. <laughs> In Ephesians 4, 8 through 12. Well, let me go back. A lot of people say perfection is not attainable. But according to... To this passage that I just read, Jesus is able to bring faith and maturity to perfection. In Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, that right there should be an eye-opener for everybody. Because the first thing when we make a mistake, what do we say? Nobody's perfect. I, I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. Some of us even use a little attitude with it. <laughs> because it's our excuse for doing what we want to do. It's our excuse for disobeying. It's our excuse for not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Well, I guess I'm just not perfect like you. Okay. <laughs> Y'all might as well amen. It's not going to get any better. <laughs> Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. In Ephesians 4.8, the scripture says, Jesus gave ministry gifts to men 
For what? For the perfecting of the saints. Who are the saints? Yeah, we're not talking about St. Nicholas, St. Christopher. I, I know there are a bunch of them like that that have different meanings. But we're not talking about them. We're talking about the saints of God, the born-again Christians in the church. Amen? People in the church can be perfect. We have to change our mindset from thinking, I'm just a human being. I don't remember reading that nowhere in the Bible. If, if you know where that scripture is after the service this morning, let me know. Because the ones that I read mostly are, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. So is it that we're not asking? Is it that we're not thinking? Why are we not? Because our whole life we've been told, I'm not perfect. You can't be perfect. There was only one perfect. All that is doing is giving us an excuse to not be what God called us to be. Ephesians 4, 8 through 12, the scripture says, Jesus gave ministry gifts to men for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. So, if we, if we are perfecting the saints, if we are doing it for the work of the ministry, and if it's for the edifying of the body of Christ... It should be something that each and every one of us are interested in. It should be number one on our board of goals. Be perfect. It's clear from these passages that it's God's will that his children strive to perfection. But what is perfection? Some never strive toward perfection because they believe it's unattainable. That belief is held in part because they define perfection as a state of flawlessness. It is defined as a state of flawlessness. Perfection is. But the scripture bears out that perfection is not a state of doing everything perfect. Every thought perfect. Every deed perfect. That's where we get scared. Because the devil puts thoughts in our mind every day. Slap this one. Say. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe not y'all. <laughs> but he put thoughts in our mind every day. So we're thinking, you know, if I'm thinking that, how can I be perfect? It's clear what he wants for us, God. But it's also clear that the devil's going to try to do everything to keep us from attaining our goals. 
The scripture bears out that perfection is not a state of doing everything perfect, every thought perfect, every deed perfect. Notice what 2 Chronicles 16.9 says about perfection. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Whose heart is perfect toward him. Perfect is a state of the heart. It's not a state of the flesh. It's what's going on in here is where perfection comes from. A person doesn't have to do everything right in order to please God. I should hear a big amen from that. Because we know we all slip up every day. God is also concerned with why you do something. What's your motive? For example, some people give out of a sense of obligation. Their tithes and offering. You know, well, I got to go to church this Sunday because I got to pay my tithes. Or I got to mail this in because I have to pay God. What does God say about us giving? It's an attitude of the heart. I don't give because I have to. I give because I love God. And I want to see his kingdom farthered. I want to see the things that he has called this church to do be accomplished because of what the pastor has and what he has given out. I want to see him be able to do that without having to find two or three other jobs. That is of the heart. That is not of obligation. God wants us to give of our time and substance. Not because we have to, but because we want to. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Jesus said if man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery with her already in his heart. So that tells us something right there. You can be guilty without ever touching them. He went on to say, if we hate a person, we have committed murder in our heart. You hate somebody? <laughs> That's, you, can be as, you can drip with honey every time you walk in these doors. But if you walk out of here and say, I hate Sister Bertha better than me. <laughs> what have you done? You've already committed murder. Clearly, perfection is not defined by what we do with our physical body. According to Jesus, we could get it right in our body but still miss it in our heart. Perfection is a state of the heart, not the flesh. In order for Jesus to do his work of maturing and perfecting our faith, it's apparent from Hebrews 12.1 that changes must take place. It reads, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us. 
to move on to perfection, we can't hold on to our old ways of thinking and doing. Some corrections are needed in order to run our race and finish our course. Some things need to change. What happens when we get born again? What's supposed to happen when we get born again? The old man is passed away. Behold, all things become new. So if we say all things become new, even the way we think should become new, right? The way we see things should become new. And sometimes it can happen with a salvation only. But sometimes it takes somebody talking to us, correcting us. Seeing when we do something wrong, they come up and tell you, um, hey, you know, I know you've been born again a couple weeks and I'm not by any means trying to judge you, but I want to see God's plan for your life fulfilled. So what you're doing in this area is not beneficial for you. You know, you can help people without being condemning. We don't do it to try to hurt them. We do it to try to help them get to where God has called them to be. Correction is never intended to hurt. The intention is to help and to make one's life more pleasurable, more fulfilling. You know, I realize that some people get born again, uh, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, so they've got a lifetime of learning already how to do things and how to see things that they have to overcome. Because if not only does culture and influence in their life have a lot to do with the way they see things, but just the nation as itself, people around you, how they see things, they try to make you see things the way they do. So with all of that influence in you your whole life, it may take a little bit for you to change the way you think. But it is not impossible. You can see things the way God sees things. I had this lady, probably the most, one of the things that I uh, really changed my life in the way I saw things was I had this lady that uh, had made it her life's goal to make me miserable. And she didn't mind telling anybody about it either. And she sure didn't mind doing whatever she could to make mine miserable. And so we, this is right after we got born again. And, I, and you know, you pray, and God, you know, just move her away. Do something, just, you know. And nothing happens. <laughs> She's still there doing all the ugly things, saying all the ugly things. So then you're like, okay, God, what do what, what we need to do here? How are we gonna, <laughs> how are we gonna get over this? And it's still happening and going on. Then you say, okay, God, kill her. <laughs> just, just take her off the face of the earth, because I'm going to church, 
I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. I'm being good. I'm being nice. <laughs> just, just get rid of her. Take her off the earth. She ain't going to leave me alone. <laughs> and ever so gently, he said, I love her as much as I love you. Even though she wasn't born again, even though she wasn't going to church, even though she wasn't doing what was right, he loved her as much as he loved me. So at that point, I started trying to see people through his eyes. Because he saw way more in her than I did. So, and then I got to thinking, well, you know, that was probably me before I got born again. So if we see, if we see things one way, it can change. Ask God to let you see people through his eyes. If I hadn't took that correction from God, I would not be here today, definitely. I'd have probably went home early. Is correction easy? No. no. Hebrews twelve eleven. For the time being, no discipline or correction brings joy, but seems grievous and painful. It did. It was actually made me a little mad. And, you know, and like I said, you know, I started, I started telling God, but, you know, I go to church every Sunday. I'm doing this. I'm helping in Sunday school. But you want to see somebody die? <laughs> For the time being, no discipline or correction brings joy, but seems grievous and painful. But afterwards, everybody say afterwards. afterwards. It yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been, listen to this, trained by it. Correction. Trained by correction brings what peace righteousness if we will allow correction to train us we can live in peace people going people traveling the world looking for peace i mean you hear these journeys that people take and, and they say stuff like, well, you know, I was just needing some peace in my life. I was looking for some peace in my life. So I went around to this guru and I had to climb up a mountain on my hands and knees for two miles. What did that bring forth in their life? Sore knees, cut hands. Probably a lot of pain in your back. And what could have they have done to get it? Just accepted the correction in their life that they needed. No, it's not easy. But it will yield peace and righteousness. You know, the word train means to teach so as to make fit. Or to make somebody qualified or proficient 
in something. How many of you want to be proficient in your salvation? I don't know about y'all, but Ricky and I have always been the type that if we're going to do anything, we're going to do it whole hog. I'm not going to play over it in here just for people to see what I'm doing. I'm, if, if I'm going to commit to it, I'm going to do it right. Everybody should have that attitude. We're not just here to get in salvation, to get the blessings of God. We're not. All that stuff comes with it. But I'm here to get correction too. Because that correction is going to help me. It's going to yield peace in my life. The word trained also means to form by instruction or discipline or drill. You know, we have a minister we follow pretty close. And uh, he said when he was growing up, <clears throat> I don't remember if it was karate or jujitsu or something like that. He started training uh, in that area. And um, he said the, their trainer, of course, they're always black belts or whatever. And he had this line of guys standing up. And he said he would walk in front of them and he would... He would go through things with them over and over and over and tell them, okay, this is, this is how you stand. When you stand and you stand with your hands down, you know, ready. And you just don't. You got to be ready for what's coming all the time, in other words. So he said the instructor would be giving them instructions and he'd have all the guys or girls, whatever they were, lined up walking down through there. And he said, if he, if he walked by you and he noticed that you wasn't standing correctly, he would just swoop his feet under you and kick your legs out from under you. And when you got up, you said, thank you, sir, for helping me correct my stance. Because had they been standing right, he would have never been able to take them out. Y'all didn't hear that. If you are standing right, the devil will never be able to take you out. He does not have more authority or power than God. We can't say, oh, the devil's been after me all. No. I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. So he cannot take me out. He cannot make me fail. He cannot make me fall. He cannot make me falter. Only if I'm not living in that peace and righteousness that came from accepting correction. Are you hearing me now? If I'm not living in, to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. So in our lives, when we are allowing frustration, pity, whatever to come, we're, we're ultimately saying, God, you didn't do enough. It wasn't enough for me. Or you can't help me. To train means to teach so as to make 
fit, qualified, or proficient to form by instruction or discipline or to drill something, <laughs> to make prepared. If I'm trained, I am made prepared for a task or a skill. If I am trained, if, if, if I accept the training, it will direct the growth in my life, which sometimes can be by bending or purging me. The word train also means to direct the growth of, such as a plant. Usually by bending or pruning and tying. How many, how many of you ever seen an ivy? Yeah. You know, ivies grow pretty good. You, you've got to be really, really bad to kill an ivy, okay? <laughs> and, and they grow, you know, just whichever way. I mean, they'll just, the limb just fall and they grow real fast. So if you go in a room once a month, you might not realize how much it has grown till you go in there and you see these limbs all sticking out like this. But if you train it, you're going to take the limbs, tie them up, put them in a position to make them look good. To make them look good. Like they're not all crazy hanging out every which way. So this ivy... If it's all like this, and, and it's so stiff now because we hadn't took care of it. We hadn't changed nothing. So now it's done got stiff and set in the way it's growing. What happens? Has to be pruned then. You have to cut off some stuff. <laughs> you can get it back to a very nice shape and everything, but it's going to be a little harder than if you would have just took the correction at the beginning and put it, you know, as it grew a little bit at a time, just shape it in that way. But no, we, we won't do things our way until we can't no more. So we drag it out and drag it out. And then finally, okay, God, I'll do it. <laughs> snip, snip, snip. <laughs> then you got to heal up from that. <laughs> In training an ivy, it's easier to bend it when it's young. If you wait too long, you have to trim it or cut it off or sometimes just start all over. Let's not be that way for God to have to prune us. When correction comes, take it. Amen? Allow it to work that peaceable fruit of righteousness in you. Even the scriptures concede that correction is not always a pleasant experience. 
Why do people study, struggle with correction? Because Satan, the God of this world, you'll find this in 2 Corinthians 4.4, is rebellious at heart. Spiritual forces are pushing on human nature to push back and rebel against any form of authority. But notice what it said before that. Satan, the god of this world, is the influencer behind rebellion. Is the influencer behind resisting authority. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I'm a grown woman. <laughs> I probably said that before. <laughs> but how many of you realize somebody going to tell you what to do the rest of your life? The IRS tells you every year you're going to pay your taxes or you're going to be dealt with. When you're, in, when you're growing up, your mom and daddy, and, and I know we all was there. I can't wait to move out so I can do what I want to do. <laughs> I can't wait to be grown so I don't have to listen to nobody do, tell me to do anything. <laughs> it's a lie. It is a lie. And it is from the pit of hell. <laughs> because you are always going to have to do what somebody tells you. Whether it be your husband. Whether it be your wife. Yes, you have to. Wives, you have to submit to your husbands. The Bible says so. Husbands, you have to honor your wives. The Bible says so. In honoring them, sometimes they're going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. But this ain't a marriage thing, so. <laughs> Spiritual forces are pushing on human nature to push back and rebel against any form of authority. But Jesus said, listen to this, y'all. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. There is nothing prideful in Jesus. He is meek and lowly. He is not self-willed. Well, I, you know, I, I just have, I've just always been stubborn. That's, that's just who I am. That's part of my makeup. Well, if I was you, I wouldn't be so quick to identify with the devil. <laughs> Stubbornness is good. As long as you're stubborn toward the things of God. And if you have a stubborn child, you need to learn how to get them focused on being stubborn toward the things of God instead of being stubborn and rebelling you against you. Amen? Jesus said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. There is nothing prideful in Jesus. He is meek and lowly. He is not self-willed. He said he came to only do the will of his Father. He never self-initiated anything. He was the obedient servant 
of God unto his death. To be like Jesus, we can't have a stubborn bone in our body. Amen. (laughs) The world is defiant and disobedient. And if you don't believe that, look at the news. See what's going on around you. Defiant, disobedient. If you don't want to be like the devil, you can't be defiant and rebellious. To be like Jesus, we must be pliable and responsive to the corrective hand of God. If there's things that are weighing us down, we have to lay them aside. If there's unaddressed sin in our lives, he will move us towards repentance. Refreshing and renewing us in his word so we are empowered to live a holy life. You know, we are empowered to live for him. Correction may be unpleasant, but Hebrews 12, 11 declares that it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's frustrating to keep doing something over and over and over that's wrong and hurtful and not beneficial. It brings great relief and joy when we receive needed correction that redirects our course. Amen? It redirects our course with resulting success. You know, correction is like, if I'm, if I'm your friend and I'm standing out here by the road and a half a mile down the road, the bridge is out, and I see you going by at a high rate of speed, and I'm like, hmm, I could tell them, but hey, I'm not their boss. Um, hey! See you later. And they go run off that bridge because nobody warned them. Now, it's one thing if I get out on the road and say, hey, wait, wait, there's a bridge out. Well, you're not going to tell me what to do. Then they just going to run off the bridge on their own. That's on them. That's not on me. Because Why? They would not receive correction. Recalculate. Turn the car around. Now, I always drove this way. I always did it this way. This is, this is how I get there. I'm going to do it this way this time. Do it. But after, after you wreck your car, mess up your body, don't come crying to everybody saying, I don't know why God... Didn't rescue me. I don't know why God didn't help me. Somebody was trying to. He sent somebody out there. Waving at you. Righteousness means acting in accord with divine or moral law. Free from guilt or sin. You know, we hear a lot about freedom. We hear a lot about, we're, we're in America. We're, we're free people. But the freedom that 
we should be desiring is not free from the laws of the country, not free from having to obey the laws of the land. Our freedom is being free from guilt and sin. And when you live free from guilt and sin, you're able to lead a peaceable life. Amen? Amen. To make it simple, just do what he said to do. Nike coined the phrase, but it is so good for us. Just do it. Just do it. Our desire should be to run to and not away from correction. Though unpleasant, it is necessary. Necessary for Jesus to complete his perfect work in us. He's trying to move us toward perfection. The path will be paved with much needed correction. Amen? Amen. But remember Hebrews 12, 6 says, It is an expression of the Father's love to correct us. So we shouldn't get all bent out of shape when correction comes. It is an expression of his love for us. He's standing there on that road where the bridge is out saying, don't go this way. Don't do this. Don't act like that. Don't say that. Don't be ugly. (laughs) Amen? Amen. I'm just who I am. And where has it got you so far? He's moving us all toward perfection. The path will be paved with much needed correction. But remember, Hebrews 12, 12, 6 says it is an expression of the Father's love. For the Lord corrects and disciplines everyone whom he loves. So let us push back when confronted with the rebellious nature of the God of this world. Rather, let us learn of Jesus yielding ourselves to God with meekness and lowliness of heart. Just because you're meek and lowly don't mean you're a weakling. Amen? Amen? We're not weaklings. We're the body of Christ. We're warriors. But we don't have to fight in this world. We only fight the good fight of faith. People say the only person who likes change is a wet baby. (laughs) But if we have church members are dry and content with ministry as usual, it may indicate that there is no clear vision for a preferable future. After all, we've never done it that way before. Well, guess what? There's always the first time, right? This is one that's probably going to shock you a little bit. But when asked why change in the church is so often difficult, one pastor commented, it's because we're never really sure if the change is worth the conflict it will cause. That's actually sad. That, that's sad. A pastor doesn't feel like he can correct anyone in the congregation. Don't feel like he can be the shepherd of that congregation. 
because somebody's going to get offended that they were corrected. A clear and compelling vision drives the focus for moving the church in a new direction. Aristotle once said, the soul never thinks without a picture. And Proverbs tells us, where there is no vision, the people perish. Vision provides a snapshot or a painting of the church's preferred future with all its possibilities. So what is the, what is the picture for this church? It's a picture of people looking, living in victory. It's a picture of people living in health. Not living like the world in poverty and disease and sickness. But doing what the church is called to do. Which is to train people how to do better, live better, be better. Amen? You know, we can't come in here every Sunday and preach salvation when everybody is saved. We can't do that. And a good shepherd won't. A good shepherd will look at every aspect of the congregation. Your spiritual, your physical, your financial being. And then he will teach things, hence train, that will help you in that area. He cannot make you do anything. He's not going to follow you around to make sure that it's happening in your life. But he will give you the words. He will give you the scriptures that will help you make it to that place if you will receive it. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Y'all can do a little better than that.